Well, hello. Welcome to Dark Stories from the Campfire. For this episode, we have three dark stories for you, centered around the theme of by candlelight. Or more appropriately, maybe these stories should be told by candlelight. For our first dark story, we see a magician who, facing hard times, makes an agreement with a stranger he meets under a street lamp. But when the agreement is broken, the consequences the magician faces are far more dire than he thought. We present to you the promise. The storm had been raging for several hours, though we only lost power about a half an hour ago. And while we did track down a couple of flashlights, the small group of friends and I thought it would add to the atmosphere if we lit a few candles instead. A few glasses of wine later, and we are in the mood for something a little darker than the general gossip. Going around the room, several of my friends declined to tell any sort of scary story at all, as they were not in the mood or didn't know any. That is, until we came to the friend who was closest to me. I heard of a magician once, he said. A few snickers were heard from us, with one saying under the breath, of course you would. Whether it was heard by our storyteller is uncertain. Either way, the interruption didn't hinder him from continuing. I heard of a magician once, it is true. What happened to him was many years ago when he was younger. All his life he wanted to be a magician. Seeing the reactions on people's faces when he would pull off his illusions always gave him the greatest of satisfactions. His most popular trick was sawing someone in half. He knew it was an older trick, but for some reason the crowds always loved to watch him perform it. Just as he was beginning to gain some sort of reputation, when all of a sudden he was no longer in demand, and he saw himself on hard times. Though he held on as long as he could, he found himself eventually selling his props and costumes. The only thing he kept was the box to sew someone in half, as that, even the few gigs he was able to book, proved to be his most popular act. But times didn't improve, and soon he had to make the tough call of letting his assistant go. This put him in even more dire straits, for without the assistant, how was he supposed to perform the saw illusion? He believed it was over for him. Then one night, as he wandered the streets, for his depression forced his insomnia, he noticed a gentleman standing underneath a street lamp, hunched on one side and a crutch underneath his arm. The magician was in no mood to interact with anyone, so he quickly crossed the street to avoid the man under the lamp. But no sooner had he started, the man called out the magician's name and asked him to come closer. The magician did as he was told and approached the man. Do I know you? The magician asked. Oh no, no, the man replied, but I know you are in need of help. The magician feigned ignorance and insisted that this was not the case. The man under the lamp nodded and said, I can make you popular again. However, I have two conditions. The first is that I provide the lower half of your saw trick. You can choose whoever you like for the top. The second is that under no circumstances are you to perform the trick if you do not see the bottom half of the box filled when you arrive at the venue. The magician was confused and asked again if they had met before. The stranger only answered with, what is your decision? The magician thought for a moment before agreeing to the terms. What did he have to lose, he thought. He already had nothing. The man under the lamp pulled out a sheet of paper and handed it to the magician. Tomorrow, the stranger said, be at that address tomorrow night. And remember, if you do not see the legs, you must not perform the trick. The stranger then pulled himself up and limped off into the darkness. The following night, the magician showed up to the venue to not only find his name and lights, but also to a packed house. 
And when he got backstage, he saw his normal props, even the ones he was forced to sell. And in the corner, his saw box with two legs sticking out the bottom half. The show, to say the least, was a roaring success. And the manager begged him to perform the following night, which the magician was more than happy to do. The second night was even more popular than the first. And again, when he arrived backstage, the lower half of the box was filled. As soon as the show was over, a stagehand rushed up to him, handing him a stack of messages from other managers asking how soon he'd be available to perform at their venues. This went on for many months, and the pinnacle of each show was a sewing someone in half trick. One night, he arrived backstage to find the lower half of the box empty. Maybe I have arrived too early, he thought, and left to get dinner at a cafe across the street. When he returned, though, the box remained empty. The magician panicked. He had to perform the trick. He had no choice. He pulled a young stagehand aside and asked that they could do him a favor. After explaining the trick to the stagehand and swearing them to secrecy, the magician helped the stagehand into the lower half of the box. When the curtains opened and he stepped on stage, the usually packed house was now half empty. The next night was much the same. The box was empty, forcing the magician to once again use the stagehand, only to perform to an audience half the size the night before. Managers no longer requested his shows. A few weeks later, all his shows had been canceled. The magician was right back to where he started. Then one morning, the magician woke up in excruciating pain and found that he couldn't move. It was then he realized he was in his own box and his legs, from his knees down, had been turned all the way around. And through the cracks, he could see the stranger with the limb standing over the box with a saw which he placed into the slot and began to move the blade back and forth, getting closer and closer to his stomach, finally cutting into the flesh and muscles. The magician let out a scream of pain. The box then popped open and the stranger was gone. The magician spent the rest of his life limping with his feet turned backwards and a saw blade scar across his stomach. For our second dark story, we follow a young lady who is house-sitting out in the country, but when the power goes off, she begins to hear strange noises coming from upstairs and investigates. We present to you, Anne. Even after pulling off the highway, Anne still had another 40 minutes of country roads ahead of her before getting to the house. The already slim two-way road eventually turned into a single lane when she crossed over the bridge, where asphalt and concrete transitioned to gravel. Every so often she would see a house on her left and right, but mainly it was the thick woods pushing up against the gravel road that kept her company. Anne didn't mind the drive that much. In fact, the silence of the countryside came as a blessing to her, a nice reprieve from working in a busy office, where it always felt she was on the phone or coming home to her roommate who insisted they spent all their free time together. She was looking forward to the weekend and the quiet the surroundings would afford her. Anne's sister recently bought a house in the area and had asked Anne to house it for the weekend as her sister had to go out of town on business. In fact, the purchase was so recent, and her sister called out of town so suddenly, one of Anne's duties was to greet the movers coming later that afternoon. Soon enough, Anne saw the wooden board with the address of her sister's house along the roadway and pulled into the driveway and parked in front of the garage. Exiting the car, Anne finally saw the house for the first time. It was a grand, gray house, two stories with a front porch and a garden room off to the side. She fantasized about all the wonderful things she would do if she had such a house, and how cute she would make it. 
She dreamed her ideas as she made her way up the front steps and unlocked the front door. The house, of course, was empty. As she entered, she surveyed the layout. Living room to the left, family room to the right, stairs in front of her leading to the rooms to the second floor, and next to the staircase, a hallway that led to the kitchen and dining room area. For a few moments, Anne stood there, taking it all in. Gradually, she walked down the hallway to the kitchen, finding a note next to an envelope on the kitchen counter. Evidently, her sister must have been at the house at some point, as the letter was from her. Anne picked up the note and read, Anne, thanks so much for house-sitting for me. I know it was super late notice, but you know how things can be at work. Anyway, make yourself at home. In the envelope is some money for food, but also to help pay for gas, as well as a little extra for being the best sister in the world. I hope you like the house as much as I do. I should be back Sunday afternoon. See you then. Love ya. Putting down the note, Anne smiled and mouthed, loved you too, before sliding the envelope of money into her pocket. Making her way back down the hallway, Anne climbed the stairs to the second floor. She peeked in each room, not for very long, just to see how large each room was. As she went room for room, she would close the door behind her until there was nothing left to explore and descended the stairs. She was halfway down when the doorbell rang. The movers had arrived, and as Anne began to explain that the house really belonged to her sister, the movers smiled and informed her that they knew Anne would be there and that her sister had left detailed instructions on where everything would go, and anything not on the list was to go into the garage, and any miscellaneous kitchen boxes was to go on the counter. Anne thanked them and gave them room to work. She decided now would be a good time to walk the property a little bit, plus it was a good way to stretch her legs after a two-hour drive. She explored the backyard first, but found nothing of interest. It was wide and grassy, and trees acting as a natural fence, much like all the other houses she had seen on her drive. The front yard was much the same, but that didn't stop her from meandering from place to place. Presently, she found herself at the end of the drive, next to the gravel road. A car was heading towards her, slowing down as it got closer, before stopping right in front of her. The window was already rolled down, and an older gentleman slightly leaned out the window and introduced himself, and asked if Anne was the new owner. Again, Anne explained that she was just looking after the place while her sister was out of town. The driver nodded, gave her an odd look, and said, Not a good day to move in, though. A transformer blew, and the houses in the area have all lost power. It'll take a few hours for them to fix it, but everything should be fine by nightfall. As they said their goodbyes, the driver headed off down the road. A few hours later, the movers were done, and they too were heading back down the gravel road. Anne pulled a magazine out of her suitcase and stretched out across the couch. The power was still off, so there weren't many options except to read. She got into the magazine almost twice when Anne noticed that the sun had set and it was growing dark. Making her way through the bottom of the house, she flipped each light switch up and down. Nothing. The power was still off. Hopefully her sister remembered to pack a flashlight, Anne thought to herself. Finding the kitchen drawers empty, Anne began digging through the boxes on the counter. None of them had a flashlight. Though she did find a couple candles and a lighter, which was fine, she thought. She lit them both and returned to the living room. The sun sets quicker out here, Anne thought to herself as she looked out the window to the front lawn. In a very short time, the house was dark, save for the light coming from the candles. The more pressing issue for Anne was, without power, how was she supposed to cook dinner? She was starving by now, having eaten nothing since breakfast. The lights would be on soon, she told herself. There was no way they were going to leave all these houses in the dark. Remembering she had a roll of candy in her purse, Anne decided that would do for now. 
but once the lights were turned on, she was going to make herself a large meal as a reward to herself. No sooner had she popped the first bit of candy in her mouth, she heard a thump coming from upstairs. Anne stayed still and listened. Again, she heard a thump, followed by what sounded like something sliding across the floor right above her. Anne lifted herself off the couch, staring at the ceiling. Maybe the movers left a window open and something has gotten in, she thought to herself. Picking up one of the candles, Anne stood at the bottom of the stairs and began to listen again. This time, she didn't hear a thump, only the sliding sound followed by a wheezy whimper. Hello? Anne called upstairs. With her heart beating out of her chest, Anne lifted the candle to help her see the stairs. Where the light stopped, she was met with darkness. Anne swallowed hard and placed her foot on the first step. The creaking of the step almost startled her. Taking a few deep breaths and allowing herself to grow brave, Anne held the candle out further and made her way up the stairs. Reaching the top, she moved the candle from left to right, making sure each door was closed. They all were, and Anne took a few more deep breaths. But coming from the door to her left, she began to hear the sliding sound once more. And as she reached for the doorknob, a great force slammed itself against the door from inside of the room. Anne stepped back, with tears running down her cheeks. She was too terrified to move. The candlelight flickered with each rapid exhale. From inside the room, she could hear someone calling her name. Not really knowing why, Anne reached out for the doorknob and turned it, pushing the door in. Anne took a few steps in and looked around. A rocking chair sat in the corner and nothing else. After looking around once more, Anne left the room and entered another. This room was not as barren with a bed and a dresser. Waving the candle from side to side, Anne looked for anything that might have caused the noises. As she turned to leave the room, she heard another door slowly open. It was the master bedroom. Anne stood in the hallway and watched the door open water, and soon she could see all the way into the room, at least what the candlelight would allow her to see. Again, Anne found nothing, nothing that could explain the wheezing or the sliding sound. Her breathing had slowed. Some confidence had began to return. Anne began to think that maybe the darkness, exhaustion, and the lack of food were contributing to her exacerbating natural noises. She closed the doors back up, and was set to go back downstairs. But when she began her descent, the fading candlelight exposed something at the bottom of the stairs. Anne could not quite make out what it was, but what she could make out was a figure crouched down with her hand on the railing. The figure did not move, but she could hear it wheezing. Anne did not know what to do. She watched in horror as the figure slumped forward, pulling itself up the stairs. Panicked, Anne quickly ran back to the master bedroom and hid behind the bed, blowing out the candle. For some time, she listened to the figure make its way up the stairs, down the hall, and into the room. All the while, the wheezing became louder. Anne held her breath, trying to do anything that could keep her from being detected. The movement had stopped, but she could still hear the wheezing. In the darkness, it was hard to discern where the figure was. Anne closed her eyes, and with her back against the wall behind the bed, she was shivering. When a light suddenly shined through her eyelids, she opened them, hoping it was the electricity had been turned back on. However, it was only the candle that somehow was relit. And just above the flame was a face, with flesh peeling off, attached to a body with one arm and long, crooked legs looking back at her. Anne let out a scream. 
Shortly before dusk on Sunday, Mandy pulled into the driveway, parking behind Anne's car. It had been a long day, and Mandy just wanted to take a shower and relax. The luggage could wait. Entering the house, Mandy called out for Anne in a sing-song voice. When she didn't hear anything, she called it again, this time more sternly and louder. Mandy searched the bottom floor, but didn't find Anne anywhere. Mandy was also confused on why there were no lights on, but when she flipped the switches, no lights came on. Mandy began to grow more nervous when she noticed the melted candle on the coffee table. Mandy began calling out Anne's name again as she climbed the stairs. The only door that was open when she reached the top was the master bedroom. When Mandy searched it, she found nothing out of place save a candle next to the bed with a small pool of melted wax on the carpet. Mandy raced downstairs to call the police as she felt something wasn't right. But on the way, she stopped to pick up the lighter to light the candle. And as she dialed the local police officer, upstairs in the empty room with the rocking chair, a closet door opened and Anne fell to the floor with a thud. Reaching out with one arm, Anne slid her way to the bedroom door and pulling behind her two crooked legs. Before we continue with our dark stories, let's take a moment to catch our breath and try to regain our senses. For our third and final dark story, we listen to a sailor who, having been stranded on a deserted island, stumbles upon a cave and finds something more terrifying than he would ever believe. We present to you the sailor's story. Come in, sit down, sit down. I have been here long enough, so there is no reason to be afraid. Sit, sit. By the look in your eyes, you must be a student. They send those to me from time to time, to poke, to prod, to dissect, to crawl into my head looking for an answer so they can return to their friends, impressing them with their stories of our interaction. So sit, please. What? Oh, yes, yes. I am fine and completely lucid, as you can see. We in a room, and you are sitting across from me. It has been a week since my rescue, and as you can see, I have started gaining some of my weight back. Not many people get to say they were stranded on a deserted island, now can they? But what are you really here for? What do you really want to ask? You are here for my story, like everybody else, aren't you? It is true, I was a thief. What was I supposed to do? How was I to survive? The ship I was assigned to was engaged in a long voyage, and the owner, in an absurd act of selfishness, decided to only stock enough supplies for six weeks rather than eight it would take. This little sick joke was a notice to almost a week at sea due to the fact that the crew wasn't allowed to be of the ship after it had been stocked and ready to set sail. This was highly unusual, but we were paid extra to take a few days off, so who was going to question anything? Needless to say, the rations were next to nothing. So yes, one afternoon as the sun was beating down on us and I was tired and weak, I snuck down and took a small salted fish, just one, mind you, and slipped it into my pocket. I thought I was alone, that everybody was above deck, but I was mistaken. A cabin boy, hiding behind some crates, also below deck, doing much the same thing I was, saw my indiscretion. And in his way to explain his reason for being down by the supplies, presented me as his excuse. He was following me, he told the cabin, as he had suspected me of stealing from the crew, who already as famished as I. Needless to say, the judgment was swift. I was to be cast away, to be set adrift in the ocean. 
I guess I should thank them for their kindness in a way. They took some pity on me, and rather than tossing me overboard as was their usual custom, they instead lured a small rowboat down the water and handed me an old, shortened oar. Of course, it really doesn't need to be said, they left me with no food or water. I sat in the darkness for a while, smelling the sea, as I watched the ship sail off into the moonlight. Truth be told, I had no idea where we were, and so not a clue as to which direction I should be heading once the sun comes up. I lay down the boat, trying to get as comfortable as possible. No sense in wasting the little energy I had rowing in a direction that might lead to nowhere. Better off, I thought, to wait until there was light, to scan the horizon, as you can say, before choosing a heading. The cold and the damp kept me up all night, as I had not a blanket to keep me warm and dry. It was many hours later that the sun began to emerge out of the water. All I could see was blue in all directions, for miles and miles so much so that it began to hurt my eyes the longer I looked. I kept my head down and began to paddle. To where, you ask? Oh, what did it matter? At that point, one direction was just as good as the next. But the rising of the sun, at least I knew where east was, or thereabouts. You see, and most people don't know this, but the sun doesn't rise in the same spot throughout the year. No, it changes depending on the time of year. After doing some quick, shall we say, calculations, I decided I would head west. What? You need to speak up, my dear student. Why did I head west? Isn't that what all the poets are always saying? To head west? Needless to say, and there maybe wasn't too much rational thought after all, I had my small oar in hand and was pushing myself towards the western direction. Also, the sun would be in my eyes had I gone east. I was rowing for hours, I should say, when high above me I heard a screeching. It was birds, actually, and by itself wouldn't have been that bad. But after enduring almost a day in silence, the screeching echoed in my ears painfully. But alas, those birds were my savior, as I knew I was close to land. And though there was only a few of them, it was enough for me to know which way I should resume my rowing. It was the birds that led me to that island, to that horrible cave, for following their flight path, I soon saw off in the distance a mountain. I would have to say it was almost nightfall when I finally reached the shores at the foot of the mountain. I had very little time to adjust to my new surroundings as the clouds had begun to move in, dropping at first a light drizzle, then harder and harder raindrops. Of course, I had to find shelter and I ran towards the mountain hoping there was something nearby to protect me from the rain. By luck, there was a cave in the side of the mountain in which I was able to escape. It was dry enough inside for the cave seemed to be deep enough, with a long overhang by the entrance which kept the rain from coming in more than a foot. I could tell fairly quickly that someone else had made the cave their refuge somewhat recently, as I found a pillow and blanket heaped in a pile. There was also a box not too far from the makeshift bed that contained almost nothing of use, save a candle and a few matches. The rest of the contents were silver trinkets of necklaces and hoops and a few small cups. Not valuable enough to have caused anyone to abscond to this tiny, desolate island, but the candles and matches would be of use, so I kept those. The rest I pushed back, paying them no more mind. It was then a bolt of lightning lit up the sky as well as the cave, and for the first time I gained a sense of not only the size of the cave, but how deep it went as well. For each time the lightning struck, I strained my eyes to see as deep as I could, taking a few steps towards the back of the cave to make sure the shadows were not playing tricks on me. I could tell the hole was deep, and at a certain point angled itself below ground. I felt safer by the entrance of the cave, so that is where I stayed, and gathered up the pillow and blanket, I too constructed a bed, 
and thought of an excuse to why I moved the blankets should the owner return. The blankets offered some warmth, enough that my hunger pangs subsided a little, and due to sheer exhaustion, I fell asleep. You want to know a secret? I haven't told anyone about this part, but I had a dream while I slept, and I still remember it. Someone was standing over me, flashing a light in my eye, and over their shoulder I could see someone sitting on a box which was floating on the water. There is now another person, and they are kneeling next to me, but looking at the person in the water. I could hear whispering, which started off soft, but grew louder and louder until suddenly I woke up. The sound that woke me up was coming from the back of the cave. It might have been a voice, but it was muffled, but sound like whoever was producing it was trying to talk to me. By now the heavy rain had turned into a drizzle, and the cold stung every part of my body, despite being wrapped in a blanket. The voice was not getting any louder or softer, but stayed constant. I lifted myself to hopefully get a better view of what might be causing the voice, but all I could see was dark. Was the original inhabitant of the cave trying to reach out to me? I had grown too nervous, too scared to move. But what if he was injured and somehow realized I was there and was trying to call out for help? Taking a deep breath to calm my nerves, I picked up the matches, struck one of them against a rock, and lit the candle, and made my way towards the back of the cave, slowly. Upon entering the mouth of the tunnel, I noticed the walls were wet with water, which was odd because, as I have already mentioned, the cave was dry, and I could not see where the water was coming from. I continued to go deeper into the tunnel, all the while following the muffled voice, which was still not growing any weaker or stronger, but always stayed the same. The candle, flickering here and there, provided me with a patchwork of light and dark as I ventured deeper and deeper. Several times I called out and waited for a response. Not a soul called back, and the voice kept talking, never becoming clearer. After going in a few hundred feet by now, I was startled and almost dropped the candle. At first I was not sure what I was looking at, but after a while I began to make out shapes of people painted into the cavern's walls. The water was dripping heavier in this part, forcing me to cover the candle to keep it from going out. I again called out, providing my name and if I could be of any assistance, and again no answer came back. After a few more feet I came to a spot where the light no longer penetrated. Everything else around me was illuminated, but not this particular spot. For some reason, I am not sure why, but I wanted to reach out and touch the dark to feel the voice. But I stopped in an instant and froze. Before me, between the flickering of the candlelights, the dark spot began to move and shift. A long piece of it sprang out and clamped itself from the tunnel walls, pulling itself towards me. It was then I noticed a large, sinister eye peering back at me as it drew itself closer. I took a few steps back, slowly before turning to run, and I ran, fighting to keep my footing, but I ran. I could hear the thing behind me, scraping against the walls, and now the muffled voice was getting louder and louder. I had reached the cave when my feet gave way. For a few moments I was dazed, and I felt myself being turned over on my back. For there, above me, hovered an enormous creature whose every part was quivering and crawling. I felt around for anything to grab. I could feel its hand pressing on my chest, Finally, I grabbed a hold of the rock and swung it down on the side of its head. The creature flinched back in pain and let out a human-like scream, but it sounded like dozens of people were screaming at once. I used this brief lapse in the creature's attention to slide away and run out of the cave. The sun instantly hurt my eyes. As they regained their focus, 
I could see human figures standing not too far from me in a ship off in the distance. Apparently, as I have been told, they were a crew of another ship. They had stopped off to collect some fresh water and were just as surprised as I was when they saw me emerge from the cave. Luckily, they were on their way back and after hearing my story, offered me their hospitality, letting me stay on board. Of course, they had no problem turning me in once they docked. And so, here I am. Do you think me as a fool? I know the island was searched and my story investigated. And other than me being a thief, nothing else has been confirmed. But I tell you, it all happened just as I say it did. Do you, now that you have heard, believe me? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. We'll be releasing new dark stories every Monday, and we are sure you wouldn't want to miss out. If you like the stories and what we are doing here, please consider supporting the show with the links provided, or leave a tip if you like a particular episode. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on Dark Stories from the Campfire.